Have you ever asked the question, what's God's will for my life? Why did God create me? What does He want from me? He put me in a certain place. He gave me a certain family. He gave me certain abilities. But, but what is it that God wants from my life? Have you ever asked that question? If so, we're going to answer that question today. We're going to be looking in, in the Bible, Acts 17, 22 through 28, and we're going to answer that question. What's God's will for my life? What is God's will for your life? And, and I think this will be encouraging. This is uh, the, the second week of Common Ground Carson. We're a brand new church starting out, and our mission statement is to expand the kingdom of God in our lives and the world around us. We're a group of Jesus followers who passionately desire to grow in Jesus ourselves, and we passionately desire to see others come to Jesus and grow up, to learn to trust Him more and more in their lives, and to witness the life change that comes from that, the positive life change, the healing in relationships and families, the healing uh, from, from personal addictions and sin. That's our desire. And we believe, we believe that for any Jesus follower, any person really, they, they need three relationships, three healthy relationships. It's kind of like a three-legged stool, we like to call it. There's three legs to a, to a three-legged stool. You remove any one of those legs and that stool cannot stand very well. It's the same in the Christian life. There's really three key relationships. Up, Picture a triangle at the top of the triangle is up. That's our relationship with God. That's you, your relationship with God. And then down at the bottom right corner, in. So up and then in. In is our relationship with other Christians. This is very necessary. The Bible says do not forsake gathering together. We are called to love one another. The Bible also says, They will know you are my disciples by the way you have love for one another. So there's no Lone Ranger Christianity. That's not the way God designed it. And then the third relationship is out. Our relationship with the world as a, as a group of Christians, as a group of Christ followers, but also individually. How is our relationship with the world? All three are necessary. Up, relationship with God. In, relationship with one another. Out, our relationship with the world. And God's plan is for us to go into the world, not to just stay away, not to just get in our holy huddle and make sure we don't get dirty by all those sinners out there. We're actually called to go into the world, and that's what we're about. At Common Ground, we are about finding common ground with non-believers. So, today we are focusing on up. Just so you can get some context of where we're going, we're focusing on up, and we're answering the question, what does God want from your life? Why did God create you? And we're going to be looking at that. In Acts. So if you have a Bible, turn to Acts 17, 22 through 28. If you're driving along, no big deal. Just, just listen. I'll read the verses. But think about this. Why did God make you? You know, last week we began, our very first week, and we looked at the reason Jesus came and died on the cross for us. And the Bible teaches that He came and He died and He rose again so that He could purchase us. The word is redeem. He could redeem us. That is to purchase us from sin, but also purchase us from religious legalism. We don't have to live the way we used to, but we also don't you know, give our lives to Jesus and then enter a new set of rules and become enslaved to that. So he set us free. And the Bible says, listen to this, that he purchased us, he bought us so that he could adopt us. That's the where we began. We are sons and daughters of the King. Do you get that? If you by faith have 
chosen to follow Jesus Christ as Lord, you are a son or a daughter of the King, which means you are accepted, you are loved, not based on what you do. But now again, we move to our second week, still focusing on up. And what is it that God wants from you? Where we're looking, we're looking in Acts. And this is a a sermon that Paul gave. Paul was preaching to a group of Gentile, pagan, non-believers. They're non-believers in God, that is. They're not Jews, but they are believers in religion. Where he is, is is he's uh, in the Areopagus. This is in Athens, in Greece. And these people are very religious. And we're going to see that as we get in. But to set the context, I think it's helpful for us to understand some of the religion of the day. Now, if, when you were a kid going to school, you probably learned about the planets, yeah, Mars and Mercury and Venus, and that they were named after Roman gods. Well, that was the religion. And most of the religions in the, the ancient Near East, which this was, most of the religions were very similar. And what they believed was that there were many gods. They were, they were polytheistic. There were many gods. And these gods, at some point, were created themselves, These gods, at some point, created mankind. Um, In some myths, it was accidental. Um, In some myths, it was on purpose. But but mankind's purpose was to serve the gods. So these gods made men and women to serve their needs. Because in in ancient Near East religions, and in the, the Roman religions, and Greek religions, they believed that the gods were needy. Like we're needy, as humans, the gods were also needy. They needed things from mankind. And they believed that there was a, it was called continuity between the gods and nature and mankind. The gods had influence over aspects of nature. You know, Mars or Ares was the god of war. So he had control of war. Then, you know, there was the god of the sky, the god of the sea, the god of love, everybody's favorite. And these gods had, had control over different aspects of humanity and nature. Now, Mankind could influence those gods to do what they wanted by performing certain rituals and things like that. They would build their temples, and in their temples they would put up idols there. They could meet with the gods, they could speak to the gods, they would carry out the rituals to try and and give the gods what the gods needed from them, so that the gods would then do in nature what humanity needed. You know, if they needed rain for their crops, those things. So it it was continuous. It all ran together. And that was their belief. There were many gods, and they had to figure out the right god to serve or do a ritual to, to appease certain things or to get what they needed. So this is who Paul is speaking to in Acts 17, 22-28. If you've ever heard of, of Mars Hill, that's, that's this sermon. Paul is speaking in the Areopagus, or in Acts 17, 22. It says this, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Okay, time out just a little bit. Look at that. Our church is called Common Ground. And the purpose, it comes from 1 Corinthians, where Paul says that he finds common ground with non-believers so that he might win some to Christ. And that's our goal. Our goal is to find common ground with, with non-believers so that they could see Jesus in us, so that they could hear the good news of Jesus and come to know Him. So look at, at how Paul starts this. 
This is kind of a sermon within the, a sermon, but look at how Paul approaches. He goes to these people, these are not Jews again, and he meets them where they're at. In fact, he begins by building them up. Their beliefs were wrong, absolutely. But Paul doesn't just start bashing their beliefs, he kind of lifts them up a little bit. He says, I perceive that you're very religious. And all these men would have probably started nodding their heads. Yeah, yeah, we are. Check us out. We're very religious. And so he goes, he says, you know, you even have a, an inscription to an unknown God. They're so religious. They know that there's a God they haven't even figured out is there yet. But they're, they're going to worship him too. So that hopefully they can get what they need from, from that God. So he affirms them. He meets them where they're at. He's got them nodding. And now he's going to move on in verse 24. And he's going to explain this unknown God. Verse 24, he says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Now, put yourself in their shoes. He just said that God, this unknown God, is the Lord of heaven and earth. Now, in their thinking, there were different gods for heaven and different gods for earth and, and different gods for aspects of earth. But this unknown God was Lord of all of it. That was earth-shattering. Then he says this, this this God in verse 24, he does not live in temples made by man. Again, they believed that the temples was where a God would dwell on earth, in these temples. And the man... Mankind needed to build these temples, needed to make it possible for the God to meet them. They would build uh, something next to their temples often called a ziggurat. And it was a a staircase that led to heaven. And and they believed that the God would descend from heaven on this staircase into the temple where they could meet with him. If you're familiar with the story of uh, the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament... Many believe that the Tower of Babel was a, a ziggurat. They were trying to build something so that God could descend and meet with them. Their belief was wrong, and so God confused their languages. But that, that uh, tradition continued, and so they believed that, that the gods meet with them. But here Paul tells them, no, this unknown God, he's Lord of all, and he does not live in your temples made by man. Verse 25, Paul says, nor is he served by human hands. Again, this is not what they believed as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. This is a big God that Paul is describing. He doesn't live in temples, and he doesn't need anything from mankind. These people at that time, they lived their lives trying to serve the God's needs so the gods would take care of them. Paul says this God doesn't need anything from you. In fact, the opposite is what happens. Instead, he gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And everything. Now, I want you to take a minute and look at yourself. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God is, is so big, God made everything? He's Lord of all, and he's not served by us, meaning he doesn't need anything. Now, absolutely, we're called to serve him, yes. Joyfully serve him. But do you, do you realize he needs nothing from you? God is fully adequate. He is fully sufficient. He's got all he needs. He owns everything. There's nothing you can give him that he doesn't already own. We should give generously, absolutely, from our money, from our time. But he already owns all of it. He owns you. He owns me. So he doesn't need anything. This should give us a lot of peace. Because if it was up to me, as a a pastor, if it was up to me to do things for God, and if I messed up, it messed up God's plan, 
Well, that's overwhelming. But the truth is, He doesn't need anything from me. And so it's a joy for me to get to serve Him. But now, let's move on. Let's, let's look. And we're going to answer the question that I asked at the beginning. Why did God make you? What is God's will for your life? Well, now that we understand this God, who He is, that He needs nothing from us, then really He created us out of His goodwill so that He could provide for us. Now, verse 26 says, And He made from, from one man, we know that to be Adam, from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Again, this God is so big, He decides what's going to happen and when and where people will live. Even you, even me. It's no accident we're in the families we're in. It's no accident we live wherever we live. Most of us listening to this live in the Carson City, Carson Valley area. It's no accident that you're here. But he created us, verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Do you get that? This is why you were created. This is God's will for your life, that you would seek God. That you would seek God. He made you to seek for Him. He didn't make you so that that you could uh, carry out rituals to Him so that you could get what you want in this life. Although God wants you to have everything you want. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. But He made you to seek after Him. This takes a lot of the pressure off. Trying to figure it out. What is it God wants me to do? Why has He made me? This is it, first of all. Seek God. Now, our motive for seeking God, let's be honest, to begin with, it's a selfish motive. When we begin to seek God, I did when I was a child. I sought after God because I was scared of death. I was scared of hell. Our, our youngest daughter, Elise, she's six years old, and, uh, and she seeks after God. She prays, but she's scared of death. She's scared of hell. And she wants to go to heaven. And her big thing lately is she's really looking forward to the new body that we're going to get when Jesus comes back or when we die. But she's banking on Jesus coming back so she doesn't have to die. And so there's some, some selfishness in there, and I believe some of that's okay. But as we mature, as we grow up in Christ, then, then we seek God not for what we get, although we get amazing things. We seek God for His glory. We're going to look at this a little bit more next week. And moving on. But we are designed to seek God in relationship. That's the title of this message. Pursue God in relationship. Seek after God in relationship. Now, what he says, though, is he goes on in that verse, that uh, he said that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. It's not like God is hiding. It's not like we need to, it's not like playing hide and seek. And God is trying to not be found. He wants to be found. The point is that we would seek and find Him. Because actually, He's not far from each one of us. Jeremiah 29 13 in the Old Testament says this You will seek me and you will find me when you seek for me with all your heart. Because He's not far. But we need to seek with Him, seek after Him with all of our heart. Do you do that? 
Are you seeking after God with all your heart? Or are you seeking after God because you need things? Is your relationship with God contingent on what He does for you? God, if you do this for me, I will follow you. If you give me that woman, (laughs) if you give me that man, then I will follow you. If you give me this job, if you get me out of this precarious situation, I will follow you with all I, I have. Or do you seek Him with all your heart for the relationship that He desires to have for you? You won't be ever fully satisfied in this life until until you are finding all you need in a relationship with the living God. That's how He made you. Now, as we were doing this message, uh, we were outside sitting in a tent, <laughs> a bunch of us sitting in the chairs, and the fourth and fifth graders were going through the same lesson. And I had duct taped or, or taped a uh, $5 bill under a chair. And so in the middle of the message, the, all these kids, they just come storming out. And I, to be honest, I expected the kids to come and kind of tentatively look and, oh, excuse me, can I look under your chair? But, but they made this illustration all the better because what they did was they came in and they just started crawling down the aisles under people's feet. It was kind of crazy to watch from up front. Going through looking for the $5 bill. They really wanted to find the $5 bill. And Gunner found the $5 bill. He found the money and he came up and, and shared you know, why he was so excited. He wanted the five bucks. And the point is simple. Like a, like a 10-year-old <laughs> searches for a hidden $5 bill, do we seek after God? Do we inconvenience ourselves to seek after God? Because He's actually not far from each one of us. Verse 28 goes on. It says, For in Him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Again, Paul finds common ground. He, he quotes one of their poets. Do you know it's okay to listen to secular music? It's, it's okay. Maybe be careful, but, but it's okay. It's okay to quote secular music to other people. He quotes their poets. And he says this about that God. Instead of the God's dependent on us, we're dependent on God. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. This is, we are his offspring. We are son, all of us are his offspring. But when we come to Jesus Christ, when we come to God through Jesus, we are adopted and we, we become sons and daughters of the King. Again, all life is found in him, but we need to seek with him, seek after him with all our heart to find that life. Now, once we find God, and I believe a lot of people listening to this, you're probably saying, I sought after God, or really, God sought after me and He found me. I found God. I have committed to follow Jesus. I now have a relationship with Him. But now I would say this, does seeking God stop? Does seeking God stop once you found Him? The answer is absolutely not. Now, imagine my wife, Callie. We've been married 12, 13 years. I'm not sure exactly. Ask her. But when we were dating, when we were in college and we were dating, you know, I would seek after her. Um, or more, she would seek after me. But it was kind of a, a stalking thing, I guess you could say, on my side. I would, we had this intranet, uh, kind of an internet just right there on campus. And you could log on and you could see all the other students that were online at that moment. You could chat with them. And I would log on and I would see, you know, Callie's name there. And if, if I saw her name, sometimes I would chat, sometimes I wouldn't. Or if I didn't see her name, I knew she wasn't probably at home because she'd go home and leave her computer on. I knew she was probably around. Maybe she was in the the coffee shop area of campus or sometimes I actually knew when her classes were and I would go and I would sit and pretend to read and just wait for her to come by and then, you know, stumble, oh, hey, and and start chatting. I pursued her and we started dating and I, I pursued her. Now, 
after we got married, what kind of a marriage is it if that stops? You know, I've, I've heard it said, uh, you know, after the marriage, there's a man and a wife, and, and the guy says to his wife, he said, you know, I told you I loved you when we got married, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. Well, we, we know marriage doesn't work that way. Women need to continuously hear, I love you. You're special. You're beautiful. And that's okay. And men need to continuously hear, I respect you. I will follow you. I love you. We need to hear that as well. And so, I continue to pursue, if I'm going to be a good husband, I continue to pursue my wife. It's the same after we have come into relationship with God through Jesus. We need to continue to pursue Him in relationship. Who is our example in this life? Who is our example? Our example is Jesus Christ. We're made to be like Him. What did Jesus do? Now, if Jesus did this, obviously we know we need to as well. Mark 135 gives us the picture. Now, here's the context of this, this one verse. Jesus, the night before, he had been full you know, in a house and, and many people were coming to him. There's a giant crowd, a big crowd, and Jesus is healing them. Jesus is teaching them. This is uh, every church planter's biggest dream, isn't it? A room full of people. A big crowd to listen to you. Well, that's what Jesus had. He had a big crowd of people. And so he was up late doing this. Well, he got up early the next morning. Early. He didn't get much sleep that night. And it says this in Mark 135, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus was willing to get up early while it was still dark. He gave up sleep to go spend time with his Father. He sought out a relationship with the Father. He went away from the crowds. He went away from the crowds to be alone with the Father. Do we do that? Uh, this is a big conviction for pastors. Pastors love crowds. I'm a pastor. I, I do. I like to see crowds of people following God. I love to be part of that. But do we intentionally leave those crowds to go be alone with the Father? Sometimes, in a house full of six people, that feels like a crowd. <laughs> and we need to get away. We need to sneak away and be alone with the Father. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. And after that, Peter finds him. He says, Jesus, where have you been? The crowds are looking for you. And Jesus' response was, you know, that's great. The crowds are looking, but there's other people that need to hear this message, and we're going to go to them. So he left the crowds to be alone with the Father. Then he left the crowds again to take the same message to others. We can learn a lot from Jesus. Now, later on, Jesus goes up onto a mountain. This is in Mark 3, 13 through 14. And he calls the disciples that he wants to him. Mark 3, 13 through 14. And he went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired. He chose them. And they came to him. Now listen to this. Why did God choose these 12 men? And he appointed 12 so that they might be with him. He appointed 12 so that they might be with him. Look at that. He chose them so that they would have a relationship with Him. They would have presence with Him. And, that verse goes on, and He might send them out to preach. But it begins with a relationship of being with God. And then there's action that follows. But you can't go out to preach. You can't make a difference in this world if you are not in a loving relationship with God. A robust, pursuing God in relationship. We said this last week. Anything of significance you do for God is simply an overflow of what God is doing in you. So first, first we pursue God in relationship. He wants us to be with Him. 
the Great Commission. We're going to be talking about this in weeks to come. But the Great Commission ends with this. Lo, I am with you always. This is Jesus saying this. I am going to be with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promises to be with his followers to the very, very end. This promise goes to you and to me. This is why we were made. Psalm 46.10. Beautiful verse. says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Literally, this could be translated, Cease striving and know that I am God. How hard is it, especially for us Americans in this busy life, to be still, to chill out, to cease striving and simply know that God is God. Be still and know God. When's the last time you did that? When I was in college, I was an RA one year, and we went to Hume Lake. Um, and we went out in the woods, and for 24 hours, we were supposed to find a tree, find a spot out in the woods, Lay down our sleeping bag. We had a sleeping bag and a pillow. We had a Bible and a notebook. That's all we had. And we were supposed to stay within 10 feet or so of our sleeping bag or of that tree. And so we went out and we found the spot. That was harder than I expected. I went out. I laid down. And I read a little bit. I read in the Bible. But, you know, you can only read so much. And pretty soon I was just reading and not comprehending. So I started writing. I pulled out my notebook. And I started writing my prayers to God, which was wonderful. But you can only do that so long. And then I stopped and I looked around and thought, well, maybe I can count the trees. The whole point of that exercise was to be still and know God. And I learned some of that. I learned how to just chill out. Just, just think about God. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you got away? You went on a walk. And you just thought about God. You just prayed to God. Maybe, you know, prayed not asking for things, but seeking Him in relationship. Do you do this? Do you seek after a relationship with God? Do you pursue God? Psalm 14.2 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Because when you seek Him, you will find Him. He's not far from each one of us. He's not hiding. And once we find Him, we continue to pursue Him. Be still and know that God is God. John 17.3 says, and this is eternal life, and eternal life starts now, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. This is God's plan, that you know God. You seek Him and know Him. Your soul longs to be connected to your Creator. Never stop seeking Him. When it comes to the work we're supposed to do, John goes on. John, in, in 6.29, he says this. Actually, Jesus says this. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him who He has sent. We are to pursue God, and when we seek Him with all our heart, we will find Him. And we then get to know Him. We believe in Him. That's our work. These are all relationship things. <laughs> it begins with relationship before we go out. That's why we're starting here. In our second week, we, we cannot emphasize this enough. If we are not seeking God individually and corporately, we are going to be of no use to Him. We're going to be of no use to Him. We cannot bring to others what we don't have. The peace, the love, the joy that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ is found as we pursue Him and are content in a love relationship with Him. And that's the, the life we want for others. But if we're not experiencing it, we can't bring others there. So here's why God made you. To seek Him, to find Him, to love Him. 
The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's why you were created. To seek after, to know, and to love the living God who created all things and maintains all things. Doesn't need anything from us. So listen, as we move forward and we serve God, because we're going to be doing that, we're going to expand the kingdom of God in the world around us. It all begins with a love relationship with God and expanding the kingdom within our own hearts. That's our first priority. So, James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. How are we going to be doers of this? We need to put this into practice. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to commit to pursue God in relationship. Let's commit to one month. Just one month. Every single day. Consistently follow Jesus Christ. Now the point of this is not to feel guilty. Okay, If you miss a day, the point's not to feel guilty. That's not what God wants for you. But the point is, let's build a habit of pursuing God. The Word should be part of this, because the Bible is the Word of God. That's how we get to know God. That's how we get to know Jesus. So that should be part of it. But maybe it's just one verse. You don't need to read a whole chapter. Maybe you want to. That's great. But pursue God. Let's commit to that for one month. Consistently. I would say attempt to every day, but but if you don't do it every day, the point's not to feel guilty. Spend consistent time with God. Being still. Find times to be still and know that He is God. Cease striving and know God. Listen, if you're not intentional about this, it's not going to happen. There's so much going on. I mean, in my life alone, we got soccer, you know, we have we school, life, Monday night football, all these things. If we don't intentionally schedule time with God, it's not going to happen. So before you move on to whatever you're doing next, I want you to take a minute, even write down, how are you going to pursue God in this next month? We can commit to things for a little while. 30 days. How are you going to pursue God? And let's do this together. And then let's see what God does in our hearts. And then what He will do in the world around us. Through us as we depend on Him. Can't wait to see you guys next week. Next week we will be focusing on the kingdom. The question is, what is the kingdom of God? Tune in next week to hear the answer to that. What is the kingdom of God?